Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show I do where I talk about the stuff I've seen since the last time I do one of these. That's right, it's just me, David, again. Um, uh, Tyler is still out of commission. You can find out what's going on with him at caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. You can find out uh, what's up and also how to help. Um, he could use it, although there is... There are positive developments that you can find at that at that website, caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. Um, please check that out. Now, on to the movies. I haven't done one of these in like a month, but um, I don't actually have as many movies to talk about as I should. <laughs> I don't know what's well, what, what happened other than, um, I guess, uh, I am watching movies in preparation for the next Profile episode, which... Uh, which I don't talk about on these episodes, obviously. So I'm just going to uh, jump in. Um, sometimes the problem with uh, taking so long is I don't remember everything about the movies that I'm going to discuss. But um, I do remember a little bit about Brett Morgan's Moon Age Daydream, which I went to see at the Chinese theater, the current iteration of the Chinese theater, which is a huge uh, IMAX-ish screen. Um, and that's... Uh, good way to see moon age daydream um it's uh um experiential experiential collage type of movie and of course it's filled to the brim with david bowie music um which is the reason to see it and see him perform and see hear sort of clips of audio there's a loose sort of narrative through his life a lot if you're a david bowie uh uh, scholar, um, you'll find out there's a lot left out. That's this is not a comprehensive uh, portrait of 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 his life or or career. But um, it, it is uh, a very um, fun and engaging uh, way to sort of uh, tune in and drift away, I guess. Um, then. Natalie and I went and saw the original Avatar in theater in theaters again in 3D. Um, our points of view have not changed, which is that I still really like it, and my wife still really doesn't. But uh, it's uh, it, everyone already knows. I think I can't spend too long in Avatar. Everyone knows. Uh, I've talked about how I I feel. Um, I am absolutely not going to refute. Uh, any complaints about how bad the dialogue is, how thin the characterizations are. Um, there's a lot of stuff that made me roll my eyes or or laugh or sometimes even outright annoyed me um, that I wish weren't in the movie in terms of uh, uh, dumb things that are, that are said. But um, James Cameron is still a filmmaker, still, I mean, this is 2009, but it remains a fact that James Cameron is a filmmaker of uh, vital passion and energy. Um, and uh, he's, uh, I, th I think uh, there haven't been that many action filmmakers who make films on this sort of tech technical, technological scale. Uh, and and the, the fact that this movie uh, is so compelling as as an action epic uh is 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 undeniable to to me and, and undeniably overpowers the stuff that i don't like and of course also just the uh the the visual imagining of pandora is remains remains beautiful the 
the the the world created is uh, uh, irresistible to me. Uh, okay, next next up, going way back in time to 1937, I watched a um, a Douglas Sirk film from back when he was still mo- making films in Germany called To New Shores, uh, and this is a uh, movie about a I guess a a singer like a lounge singer um, who is uh, in love with a military officer and um, he uh, gets sent to uh, they're all English by the way German is the only, they all speak German because it's a German movie but these characters are English and uh, the the military officer um, gets sent away to Australia after committing some fraud, which she, being in love with him, takes the fall for. And then um, this uh, fucking douchebag uh, who claims to love her uh, doesn't love her enough, I guess, to... Um, step up and take the blame and get her and keep her out of out of prison once he once he finds out um uh, uh what's going on so it's a it's a movie that uh, i guess technically a love story but not in the way that you that you think of uh but it's still uh, for the second movie in a row i'm going to use the the phrase uh passion the intensity of the emotions uh which of course is the melodrama that douglas Sirk is known for uh is so palpable and so and comes across so so strongly um yeah i really liked uh, uh to new shores um uh what's next for me after two new shores i i lost track of my uh damn okay uh god's creatures which is uh anna rose homer's follow homer's follow-up to the fits uh long-awaited follow-up uh this movie uh, stars the great incomparable Emily Watson um, as a uh, uh, a a mother to some grown children and and a sort of foreman at a local like uh, fish processing uh, place in in a, a small um, uh, uh, fishing village. Um, and uh, her her son, grown son, uh, who's been away for years, comes comes back, and uh, the you know there things things happen from there. I don't want to go into to to um, the too much, but uh, Anna Rose Homer and and her co-director on this, whose name is Sela uh, or Sela Davis. Um, uh, create a fantastic sense of of place and community in this in this little fishing uh, village, modern day fishing village. Um, there's uh, uh, it's never commented on, but like everybody smokes cigarettes, which is uh, something you see <laughs> less and less often on on screen these days, and and, and that um, definitely stands out as a sort of a, a fact of this kind of working class. Uh, life there's also um there's a part early on that uh um 
I, I noticed um, where the so, uh, Emily Watson and a couple of the employees are taking a smoke break, like I said, they all smoke uh, from work, and they hear a, a siren, like a fire truck or an ambulance or something, and uh, they immediately like run to see what's up. Um, and that having lived in cities for like 20 years, over 20 years now, uh, I forgot what it's like to live somewhere where sirens are rare and that you like are like curious to find out what's happening when there's a siren. But uh, that is captured very well in, in the movie. But uh, the, uh, the the movie is really about, like, without going into the plot, I think it's about um, uh, women who cast themselves or are cast by circumstances and societal expectations as caretakers of men and how deep does that commitment go like how how uh how long will you continue to take care of someone who maybe who may not deserve it um uh and uh it's i I think to the movie's credit that it's not moralizing it doesn't make a clear distinction of like here's where the line is and here's what you should do when a person that you love and care for crosses it it um it is uh um sympathetic of emily watson's character even as she uh maybe makes decisions that aren't morally the best but you understand where she's coming from because uh her son is someone that she loves it's her son right uh and so it's a, another fantastic performance from Emily Watson. This also has um, uh, Ashling Franciosi, I think is how you say her name. Uh, she was the star of the Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale, uh, which is a very good movie that I will probably never watch again because it's very difficult to to watch. And her son, uh, Emily Watson's character's son, is played by Paul Mescal, and he's quite good. Um Oh, he was in uh, The Lost Daughter, I think. He's the guy who works for Ed Harris. I don't know. It's been a while. I can't remember. Oh, I guess he was also on Normal People, but I didn't watch that. Uh, okay, next movie for me. There's no, like, trade-off when it's just me. I know. I've, I, say this, I say this every time. Uh, oh, the next movie is a really fun one. Uh, it's Parker Finn's Smile, the new horror movie Smile, which I really kind of really got a kick out of if i mean it's i can i'll start by acknowledging the that is not perfect there are um uh it, it has that it has that thing it reminded me very much of the ring uh in its premise that like once you see this particular smile it's curtains for you uh, <laughs> uh but also in the sense that it is a like procedural mystery at the same time that it's a horror movie like the the main character uh played by Sosie Bacon um who's a, a psychiatrist who has seen this smile on a character on a character a uh, patient of hers who 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 then died um and passed it to her I guess uh she's trying to figure out what this is and how it's happening before it, it before it gets to her so there's that whole uh, this whole um uh uh detective type uh, plot to it that i didn't i didn't always love there were there were times because it, so to get to the good stuff the movie has consistently great scares 
and fantastically creatively disturbing images that are disturbing in a fun way if you like that kind of thing um like that first death is oh my god it's uh uh i definitely said oh shit like after that like uh i was and i knew i was in in for something uh and uh but that those are those moments the 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 pure horror moments are so good that uh there is a, a bit of just like feels like i'm just marking time in between them sometimes um i don't like necessarily need to have her go and visit the one person who saw the smile and lived and try and figure out i don't need that i want the more creepy stuff uh but that's a minor complaint because the the movie is um just a lot of fun again asterisk for fun depending on what you find fun because uh, it's very disturbing and in and scary and gross and gory but um uh yeah i really liked it um and the yeah the um it has a uh large role played by caitlin stacy who's an actor that i like uh she was in um an australian tv show called please like me i think it was called and uh, i was a big fan of of her from from that next movie please uh oh the next movie though speaking of if if the if smile was a pleasant surprise the next movie was an unpleasant disappointment because uh i didn't see the bad batch but i really liked a girl walks home alone at night by anna lily Amirpour. uh but her new movie mona lisa and the blood moon is just unfortunately just really superficial um and not i guess there are good ways for a movie to be like superficial but this uh felt kind of lazy and obvious in in a lot of ways um uh it's whatever it's about a mental patient who uh, escapes and possibly has some well she definitely has some superpowers and she um gets taken under the wing of someone who maybe wants to use her superpowers uh for their own personal gain and then uh uh maybe is seeking redemption or seeking actual friendship um but uh uh there's a there's a i think a cynicism to its depiction of of human beings um that i found kind of lazy cynicism uh, i was much more interested in the way that uh i'm poor uh is clearly kind of in love with the kind of uh low art potential of trashy junk food culture and uh you know um uh fast food and 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 uh, uh fast fashion and uh ugly garish uh you know um neon signs and in uh tricked out cars and 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 stuff that is you know feels very low culture but uh i do believe that report has a genuine uh love for that stuff and, and then when the movie is immersed in that kind of that kind of vibe uh i liked it a lot more but mostly i, I wouldn't recommend mona lisa and the blood moon um one second hold on 
All right, next up is Walter Hill's Dead for a Dollar, a new uh, Western from Walter Hill with a pretty great cast. You got Christoph Waltz, Willem Dafoe, Rachel Brosnahan, Hamish Linklater, uh, Benjamin Bratt. He's got a good good cast there. But, um, uh, yeah, the um, main character, I guess, uh, uh, Christoph Waltz, um, goes into Mexico to track down an escaped or an AWOL soldier who ran off with his, uh, with the wife of a local businessman. And, um, and Christoph Waltz goes down to, uh, uh, collect the bounty by, uh, returning this guy or killing him or whatever. Um, but ends up getting involved in, uh, the, uh, local, politics in this small mexican town that benjamin bratt sort of uh, rules over with an iron fist uh, meanwhile um willem dafoe who ha- just happens to be in town and also just happens to be christoph waltz's lifelong nemesis uh also get, also gets involved maybe on the other side of of things uh the movie's just a um from a direction standpoint it's a very well assembled uh western sort of um uh pot boiler thriller it's amazing how often it finds ways to um uh have showdowns that aren't gunfights like because it wants to i think hold off for the big gunfight at the end which it does uh rewardingly so so it has a whip fight which is great it also has some pretty tense uh poker games and mexican stands off stand i shouldn't say mexican standoff i just uh probably that's probably a uh an offensive term i just said it out of habit um but yeah um but you know i guess you could just say a standoff i think it gets the point across anyway um um uh my only complaint is i the the color grading of the film literally looks like there's just a sort of dusty instagram filter placed over the whole thing it's not uh it's not that attractive um, to look at, even, and also the screenplay is a little overly talky, uh, more than we needed, I, I, I think. But uh, still, you can't deny the Walter Hillness of it. Uh, all right, moving on to Maya Forbes and Wallace Wolodarski's *The Good House*. Now, as longtime listeners know, I do have a, a particular interest in movies about drunks and uh i didn't know going in this was a movie about a drunk and extra bonus points that drunk is played by the great sigourney weaver so um yeah it's a movie about a uh sigourney weaver plays a sort of high-end real estate agent in a um small uh new england coastal town the these where these houses tend to go for millions and millions of 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 dollars um she is also divorced and sober or so her family thinks that's kind of the kickoff is when we realize uh about 10 12 minutes into the movie that oh she is still drinking um after after hours when she's when she's at home um but uh the main reason you know i say that i'm like interested in movies about drunks and i'm interested in movies by sigourney weaver i would say the main thing actually that caught my eye about this movie is not Maya Forbes and 
Wallace Ward, Wolodarski. Um, uh, I'm not necessarily a big fan of their films. I know they did The Polka King, which I thought was uh, um, kind of disposable. Um, and they did um, Infinitely Polar Bear, which a uh, good performance in Mark Ruffalo, but not really uh, a great movie. But this time, the screenplay is by Thomas Bazooka, who I know as a writer and director. He um, directed most recently Let Him Go, but he also directed uh, um, what's the Christmas movie that's really good? The Family Stone, and he made a movie called Big Eden a million years ago. Um, uh, I I really like Thomas Bazooka as a writer-director, so I thought that I would um, uh, see some of him in this and i definitely did like the i definitely thought of the family stone in the way that it is um not cut and dried or black and white about familial relationships that things can be hard and 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 broken um because of dysfunction and and uh troubled past but there's also there's also love there at the same time and it's not nothing is Nothing is uh, easy or, or tidy um, in in its uh, in its depiction of uh, of loving dysfunctional families, uh, basically. Um, but uh, again, Forbes and um, Wolodarski, I don't really like their style. When Thomas Bazooka directs a movie, he feels very there's a confidence to the way that his camera is like almost like a Clint Eastwood type of confidence to like yes, this is where the camera needs to be for this shot i'm not going to second guess it i'm not going to try and wow you this is just this is the shot and often like staying with that and, and living in that i i really like uh that style of direction and and um i feel like forbes and wolodarski maybe don't trust the material enough and are a little bit too uh too too active um with the camera that i, I think it seems to betray maybe a um lack of confidence or an insecurity about um about filmmaking without like making a show of filmmaking uh so yeah i can't fully recommend the good house but it has a lot going for it uh but yeah i'd rather just maybe from now on i'll just watch thomas bazooka movies when he's writing and directing uh because let him go from a a couple years ago was a real uh gem that uh a lot of people kind of ignored one second. All right. Moving on to, uh, and I, I, you'll hear a little bit more about it um, on the upcoming episode this week, but Reuben Austin's Triangle of Sadness. Uh, now, I was lukewarm on the square. I loved Force Majeure, but it was lukewarm on, on the square. Uh, but uh, Triangle of Sadness definitely, it's not, it's not a re- full return to form. Um but uh it's definitely an improvement and uh it it has a lot of some of the stuff that rubbed me the wrong way about it is sometimes i i think it's it's allegories are a little bit simplistic uh in terms of what it has to say or what it sees in you know the working class versus the one percent um uh, even though the movie is actually about, I think how 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 um, 
I guess power is situational that like um, the the person who calls the shots in one room might have to be the person taking orders in a different room because different people excel at different things which you'd think I feel like would make it a little bit more nuanced seeing as it's about like shifts in power but it seems to happen a little too um, too on the nosely uh, but uh, again I'm, all, I'm doing a thing that thing of starting with what I don't like about a movie that I mostly really like uh, and I really like this movie because it is very funny. Uh, there's a there is a there's a boldness um, to the way that he um, makes films. The way he assembles image and sound is very much uh, not apologizing for itself, and that can become insufferable with something like certain parts of the square. But uh, I enjoyed the the commitment here to making something that is uh that aims to be aspires to be as grotesque as the luxury and wealth and privilege that it is depicting aboard this uh very exclusive very expensive luxury yacht trip um uh and yeah he um there's it's it's a it's a fine line um with certain filmmakers uh that i don't think ruben oslin ever chooses a single frame on autopilot or or chooses it because it's obvious or easy i think he is thinking about how every frame is going to come together and i think that sometimes uh, i i like that attention to detail but also that sometimes could lead to the feeling of self-consciousness and I think Tri- Triangle of Sadness um, walks that line in, but mostly stays on the correct side of it. Uh, it's mostly very fun to look at. Um, all right. So, liked Triangle of Sadness. Thank God. Uh, because the next movie on my list, I unfortunately didn't didn't care for. And that's the new Sam Mendes movie, Empire of Light. And I think that's because... Uh, it is self-conscious and also it feels dishonest it doesn't feel like it's something that is deeply felt it 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 feels like when people talk about dismissively talk about like awards bait oscar bait or whatever i think this is the type of movie they're talking about that it's about like it's about race and it's about mental illness and it's about the transportive sublime promise of a movie theater and the movies but it just feels like it's well it's it's trying to be about all those those things it doesn't um it it feels very on the nose and in some ways uh olivia coleman plays a uh movie theater manager in the early 1980s uh and her new newest hire newest young employee is a young black man played by michael ward from um lover's rock uh my favorite movie of 2020 uh and uh they they develop a a friendship um uh 
maybe something more who knows but they um develop a connection which gets tested as her mental illness starts to come to light and also as the sort of um white nationalist skinhead movement um starts to make his present more felt presence more felt in their little coastal um well i don't know if it's a little coastal town it's kent kent's not that small town um but their neighborhood i guess feels feels like a small community um and um uh but it, it just feels like it's trying too hard to be uh important inspirational it's a bunch of hokum mostly um it's as as stale as the popcorn that they're uh digging out from under the the counter um in the movie it's got some good needle drops in it but uh and roger deacon shot it which is usually a good good sign um uh but uh and also yeah and trent resonant addicts ross did the score and it might be my least favorite score they've ever done if i'm being honest it's kind of i don't know goopy uh all right next up i it was you know it's halloween it's spooky movies time so i finally got around to watching jordan peele's nope after after it came out three months ago uh finally got a chance to 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 see it and uh uh yeah it's really good (laughs) um he's um uh, he's such a fantastic uh, um, visual storyteller. Um, there's so much, I think, that we learn about the characters and their their, their backgrounds um, based on uh, how they relate to each other and how he, he frames them and how they look at each other. I mean, Daniel Kaluuya's character is so mumbly that I probably missed a third of his dialogue but i don't really feel like i missed anything because the uh the visual and physical connection to um the the world and the characters is is so strong uh it's um also funny which you expect from a jordan peele movie um it's not particularly scary uh i know by this point you guys have all seen it i know but uh it's not that scary but it has some uh upsetting imagery and uh it does have one particularly scary but there's a kind of a centerpiece the first big uh when the i guess i'm trying to like dance around it for the handful of people who maybe haven't seen it but when the uh alien presence first makes its methodology really clear uh there is some pretty um horrific imagery and also sound um there's a uh, uh, good use of sound in 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 nope uh yeah um uh, yeah I, re- I really liked it i had to buy it on uh, buy it digitally so i um technically well i technically don't own it when you buy something digitally they can like sort of take it away at any point but uh i would say it was worth the purchase for me Okay, Homestrike, Homestrike, three more movies. All right, um, next up is a documentary that um, I should look up the release date. I'm not sure. It's coming to to Amazon, actually. 
Um, directed, by, directed by Melissa Lesh and Trevor Frost. It's called Wildcat, and it is the story of um, a an English Afghanistan war vet and an American uh, ecologist who meet in Peru where she, the ecologist, um, has started a foundation to um, rescue and rewild um, jungle animals uh, specializing in carnivores and um, and uh, uh, he ends up joining up as I guess a volunteer but then they become a couple and then the movie tracks their uh, the process, the 18 month process of them uh, rewilding a uh, what is a, a baby when we first meet it, baby ocelot uh, and so the movie is uh, so in in some ways I went in kind of like have expected to be like alright there's going to be cute animals but I might be rolling my eyes at the sort of like uh, what I expected to be more sort of like formulaic inspiration like um, story of like oh a war vet with PTSD who's helped by helping animals uh, the movie is it's more real and more messy than that and it also helps that uh even before the filmmakers came along these um these two people as a part of their process for the um their scientific process or her scientific process they were already video documenting and doing confessionals type of things all the time there's so much they, they already had so much footage uh and the movie just sort of runs with that it does not have like talking head interviews looking back it is all um footage that was shot there on location a huge percentage of which was shot by the two subjects not by the directors so there is some other uh footage shot by the directors later but um uh so formalistically i like that that it doesn't feel um like it's following a guidebook um, it doesn't feel schematic uh it feels like it's taking the cues f- it's a document that takes its cues from its subject and learns along with them which is um the kind of curiosity that i want from a documentary but it also um i don't want to get too much into the uh, where the story goes but it doesn't it's it's more realistic about the 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 mental health of its main character and that it would be it would be trite and insulting to say that like oh this guy who um is going through really terrible stuff um after his experiences overseas he just had to be in the right place and find the right person who loves him and the right adorable animal and everything's just going to fall into to place and the the movie i for his as beautiful as the movie is for as much cute animal footage as it as, as there is when the movie ended i felt kind of like down it made me sad which as i've said before i tend to respond well to movies that make me sad <laughs> and uh uh yeah wildcat made me sad I, but i also like i just want to spend time with an ocelot now they're the so cute um all right next up got a uh, uh, the new Claire Denis 
uh, film. Not Both Sides of the Blade. I still haven't seen that one. Stars at Noon is the new Claire Denis that I have seen. And this is um, another English-language movie from from Claire Denis after after High Life. Um, And uh, Margaret Qualley plays a, uh, I guess, journalist or a wannabe journalist who is in um, Nicaragua uh and is trying to get out of Nicaragua and is having trouble and sort of uh sees her opportunity with a British oil exec played by Joe Alwyn who then um uh it becomes more of a romance and the movie becomes more of like a sort of espionage thriller uh but um it has this presence and forward momentum that comes from the main character Margaret Wally's character um I'm trying to remember her name it's something Johnson uh Trish Trish Johnson uh most of the people just call her Miss Johnson um or Miss Hanson Miss Johnson um anyway um uh but um uh, she's a, a fascinating character a very Claire Denis type of 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 woman um I don't just mean, you know, thin and beautiful, but uh um she is that. Uh and um and and yeah, the the movie takes its cues from her, uh which is crucial because and I can already foresee this being a complaint for for someone. It's an espionage thriller that never actually really like makes it clear what any of this is really about. I mean, I would say by the end, you know, it's it hasn't spelled it out, but I think um, I I think I more or less understood by the end. But it's still that's not really the point because she doesn't really know. She's just kind of caught up in this and is trying to get out of the country and um, and and is uh, feeling this pull with this guy played by Joel Elwin. Um, and uh, uh, so it reminded me in that way of the. This is. I hope this doesn't turn people off from seeing Stars at Noon, which is a great movie. But um, there's a movie that no one liked but me, apparently, uh, um, called The Last Thing He Wanted, uh, with D. Rees, um, directed by D. Rees, starring uh, Anne Hathaway. And that's another movie that is a like Latin America set um, uh, espionage movie that like does not really care about what about making you understand what is going on (laughs) you know it's just like being there with this woman who's experiencing it all and and, uh stars at noon has that what it also has going for it is um this sounds weird to say going for it but uh it is a movie that takes place more or less now meaning in the covid era and covid uh precautions uh, and masking are all very much present in the movie um the rarely commented on uh directly um there are a couple of scenes that actually revolve around it there is actually a uh, a a kind of um crucial kind of tense tense scene you'll understand why that's funny in a second uh that takes place in a covid testing tent um uh, uh yeah it's um uh, it's it's really fantastic and and there's you know there are there are um 
filmmakers, and I'm forgetting the name of the DP. I know I made note of it earlier. Uh, the DP's name is Eric. Oh, it's Eric Gautier. Okay. Um, uh, there are filmmakers and cinematographers who sometimes I think use the overly handheld thing as uh, a way around having to um, think too much about uh, framing and, and imagery but then there are also filmmakers who repeatedly find absolutely uh, beautiful and compelling and, and stunning images with handheld uh, cameras and um, uh, yeah there's a lot of fantastic shots a lot of fantastic costumes uh in this i would say the um margaret qualley and jolwyn's meet not cute um is at a hotel bar that is uh absolutely gorgeously lit where there's like a there's like a sort of orange strip of light along the top of the bar so they're like kind of weirdly underlit in in orange um while they're talking it's very cool looking uh the whole movie is really great it's uh it's one of the best movies i've seen this year uh and then uh speaking of claire denis i caught up with a claire denis movie i had never seen which is 2001's trouble every day which i thought oh this is a good movie uh, this is claire denis horror movie this is a good movie to watch um uh, during the month of October not I don't know if, how much it's really a horror movie um it, but it has horrific things in it um uh, there are uh, there's a lot of blood uh but there's also a lot of uh um Vincent Gallo who's generally an unsettling presence <laughs> in, in in movies so Vincent Gallo and um Trish, what is her name um, Trisha Vesey uh, play a honeymooning couple in Paris. Um, meanwhile, there's a, a, I don't know, a cannibal on the loose. <laughs> this is making it sound uh, uh, more trashy than it is, but I love that. I love that it that the movie uh, comes up against um, trashiness and and uh, uh, yeah, it's. Um, I think uh, Claire Denise' interest as a as a female filmmaker, her her fascination with bad men, or at least not great men, um, is something that really compels me. the The men that she comes up with are not. Uh, cut whole cloth out of uh women's like straight women's like most uh pleasant dreams they're um troubled every day they're troubled and in 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 troubling um but somehow also there's a often a magnetism i mean vincent gallo uh there's a uh, a, a lot that is troubling and magnetic <laughs> about him and, and trouble every day uses it uh very well it's it's a movie that has some uh serious uh serious gore and un 
unsettling, upsetting um, violence in it. But maybe the most disturbing thing about the movie is um, imagining what could be going on behind Vincent Gallo's eyes. (laughs) 